You know, I think that it's up to the hospitals and the organizations to realize how they're going to fix their working conditions or their staffing or whatever problem that they're dealing with to level out this playing field if that's if that's what they want to do. Um, and in the meantime, don't punish the nurses for it. I mean, it's as, it's as simple as that. What's the 2022 nursing career and job market zeitgeist? Let's talk all about it with friend of the pod and my friend Amanda Guarnier of the Resume RX and the NP Society, right here in episode 362 of the Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is all about you, your personal professional development, your career, and the healthcare system writ large. And I'm here to share education, frequently ideas and diatribes, well, you're used to the diatribes, in informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people out there. I love having you along for the ride and I invite you to take part in supporting the Nurse Keith Show by going to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith. Creating over now 400 episodes all told incurs a lot of costs. And if you would like to support the show with as little as $2 a month, that would be awesome. It's patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith. And you can also refer yourself or anyone else, including your pets, to Nurse Keith Coaching for expert holistic coaching with me, Nurse Keith. And if you mention Amanda or the show or the NP Society or the Resume RX, you can get 15% off your first coaching package. The show notes for this episode will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 362. And Amanda, you are here for the third time. This is your third appearance, and you're one of a small cadre of people who have been on the show more than twice at this point. I am very excited, Keith. I'm very honored. I feel like maybe there should be a button or some sort of commemorative uh, trophy or something that I can put on my wall because this it's a pleasure to be with you as always. Well, that's a really good idea. Maybe we can have like a a, a commemorative coin. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I can have a picture of Florence Nightingale one side and um and maybe each guest can have their picture on the other side. You know, it's, something it's like great. that. It's great. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so we're here because you are a resume expert and you've been on the show talking about that and you have consulted with me on resumes and people can also buy your templates through my website at the resume rx they can go and buy them for a special deal at nurse keith and you also run the np society which is a special society just for nurse practitioners and your last appearance on episode 342 was all about that so you have your finger on the pulse because you are a career and resume expert for nurses and nurse practitioners, and you're also still a working NP. So you've, you haven't hung up your scrubs yet, right? Well, I'm on a brief sabbatical, truth be told. Okay. I've been focusing on the resume RX full time as I have recently moved to a new state and I'm waiting on my APRN license to go through and also just a good time in my in my life with little little kids to take a bit of a sabbatical. So at the moment, no, I'm not working clinically, but in the near future I will be. 
I see. So yeah, moving to a new state, you've got to transfer licenses and Mm -hmm. some states are slower than others, as we know. And you've been a ER nurse practitioner in a level one trauma center. You also have worked as a sexual assault nurse examiner, a SANE. So you've, I mean, you've been around, so you know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I'm glad you're taking a break. And today the kids are in school, right? The kids are in school today. Yes. So I'm very excited to be recording podcast episodes, catching up on some work and and helping to support, you know, our nurses and NPs in their career endeavors. It really, it's uh, a work that gives me a lot of joy. That's a lot different from caring for patients, but just as fulfilling. I agree. And I, yeah, I totally concur with that feeling. And, oh, there's a lot to talk about because here we are, it's, Let's see, we're recording this in mid-February of 2022, and this episode's coming out in March. So we're, you know, right, actually, it's coming out right around the two-year anniversary of COVID hitting Mm. our shores, right? Because that was March of 2020. So really good timing in a way. So where do we begin, Amanda? (laughs) Should we start at the end, the beginning? I don't know. So let's just say things have been kind of funny the last couple of years. And I don't mean like, haha. I mean, things have been weird and nursing has been all over the map, right? We've had people under great duress. We've had nurse suicides. We've had talk of burnout, compassion fatigue more than ever. We've had this whole travel nursing thing blow up, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of salaries and opportunities and people thinking, wow, what, what do I do with all this that's happening right now? So in the bigger, bigger, bigger picture, if we pull the camera back, just like I said at the top of the show, what do you feel is the overarching zeitgeist out there right now in the nursing profession and kind of like, let's just say the job marketplace? So I think that in terms of the the job marketplace, it really depends on what type of setting people are in. And if we reflect on the past couple of years, there have been severe staffing shortages as well as layoffs, depending on kind of what environment you've been in. So I think that, you know, we're, we're seeing that stabilize a bit, but what I think is really happening is that a lot of nurses who have been working for a while and and especially new nurses who might just be graduating and getting ready to start are really evaluating their choices, maybe more so than we did pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that we're seeing the the fallout from burnout, compassion fatigue, staffing issues. And I think just in general, people are more in tune with what they really want out of life and how their career fits into that, which I think is a great conversation to have. I think that when we're thinking about our career, we should always be thinking about how it integrates into our whole life. And so I've been observing that people have a little bit more awareness of that in, in terms of their nursing career. And um, I, I'm happy to see that. I don't know about you. I am happy to see that. And I've referenced a lot over this last couple of years, this term of existential crisis and existential mm-hmm. angst, right? When people are dying all around us and it, it's not like, well, it's different than let's say the AIDS crisis and other crises we've faced because it's just, 
it's bigger and it's more worldwide in terms of their pervasiveness across cultures and communities and being just in our faces day in Mm -hmm. and day out. And the AIDS crisis didn't lead to like everybody wearing masks and the, you know, society kind of shutting down for long periods of time. That was a horrible time. And I was involved in that period, but this is just different. It's just, it's a different quality and character. And I think a lot of people are like, why am I wasting my time at this job or at this employer that like doesn't treat me well, et cetera. Mm -hmm. However, at the same time, I am hearing from a lot of people who feel like they're still not being valued. They're still not, mm, they just feel like not a lot has changed. And my hope all along has been that, you know, this would be a real sea change and that employers would be like, oh my gosh, you know, we can hang up hero banners outside and say heroes work here and all that stuff and give people mugs and pizza and everything, which is cool. And I think a lot of my listeners know what I think about the hero moniker, um, which I'm not terribly comfortable with, but still I'm hearing from people who are having the same old problems of getting bullied or getting treated poorly by a manager. So do you, do you think we can, we nurses can demand more of our employers right now in general, or is it more of the same old right now? So I, I have made similar observations where I, I'm not sure that the employers have caught up yet with what we as the nursing workforce have, have realized in terms of our value and our worth and what we deserve to have in the workplace, which is, you know, number one, safety, right? Safety for ourselves, safety for our patients, safe staffing, you know, the cascade of, of safety. Right. And I think on paper, our employers agree with that, right? Like what employer, what hospital system is going to say, we don't support safe staffing or we don't support the safety and, and well-being of our, of our employees, but I haven't yet seen the actions fall into place the way we all feel that it, it should. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would like to think that we can demand more of our employer. And I think that we're gaining more of a voice, uh, you know, in, in media, in social media, mm-hmm. among, you know, the unions, I've seen more activity in terms of nurses kind of demanding what, what they need. But on the flip side, you know, have, have the employers followed suit or fall into place with what we're requesting I haven't really seen that across the board. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I hear good stories and I hear not so good stories. The not so good are outweighing the good. However, one could also say that the people who reach out to me for coaching might be more likely to be the people who are not happy or things are not going well. Sure, so that's we could fair. just, we could say that, right? So they're kind of a self-selecting group. Mm. And I also just hear from really cool people who want to do cool things and are just thoughtful and want to grow their careers. So I want to also put that out there that people reach out who just, they just have stuff they want to talk about yeah. and they want to do something maybe out of the box or something like you and I have or whatever. So there's also that scenario. Uh, but I, I, I just feel uncomfortable with the fact that so many 
nurses feel so beleaguered and many who reach out to me anyway, still feel rather stuck. And I hear from a lot that they, they don't want to work in acute care and I don't blame them at all. And anyone who's listened to this show for any period of time know that I've never worked in acute care. You know, um, I know there's gasps in the audience from those who've never heard that before, (laughs) but you know, 26 years and I'm still doing okay. And I've, I've gainfully employed whenever I want to be, but I know a lot of people want to leave that milieu and I encourage them to, if they don't want to work there, because there's plenty of people who want to take their place. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so for those who are seeing that acute care is not for them, whether they're like me and they're real iconoclast and they're coming out of school saying, nope, not going to do it ever, or, <laughs> or they're doing it at some point, two years in, five, 10, 20 years in. What do you think of all the options that are out there now for people who are like, I want to be part of the 45 to 50% of nurses who don't work in acute care? Yeah, I, I love that. I think there has been this narrative for a long time that the setting that you work in determines your worth as a nurse. You know, if you don't work acute care, you're somehow less than or different or not as capable. And uh, I mean, I think it's kind of taken this type of scenario to really emphasize the fact that that's not, that's not really true. We're, we're all worthy no matter what setting we want to work in. And I just encourage anyone, especially nurses to really listen to what their instinct or their gut is telling them. And if they are not happy in an acute care setting or it doesn't interest them whatsoever, then that is wonderful for them that they're able to have that clarity because getting that clarity is the first thing that's going to take them down the path of whatever working environment is going to make them most professionally satisfied. And I mean, if you're not professionally satisfied, chances are you're not whole life satisfied, right? So um, I encourage I encourage people to do what they need to do to examine what type of environment they they want to be working in and and explore those feelings and those interests the best that they can. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of people are exploring remote nursing, which has exploded, obviously. Yes, and. They might be checking out the remote nurse with Sadie Glisson, or they might just be going on Indeed or Glassdoor or LinkedIn and finding remote positions. I do hear from people who are disgruntled with remote work because they feel that the the um, the isolation of remote work can be hard. It doesn't work for everybody. It might sound really good to work in your pajamas or um, have you know just be in your house with your dog or cat, you know, but that can also be hard for some people. You know, people like you and I, that's not so hard that, you know, we, we enjoy it, but for many, it's a real struggle and they don't realize it till they do it. Mm-hmm. And also others feel that the, the productivity that's demanded of remote nurses has become pretty robust, we could say, and that can be kind of difficult too. But for others, it really, really works, especially when the schedule is super flexible and you're not have, you don't have to be at your computer from eight to four, you know, you can log in a few hours, go to the store, go to a doctor's appointment, come home, do some more. So remote nursing seems to be across the board, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm definitely seeing a lot of 
interest in remote nursing and, you know, something Sadie and I have have talked about is keeping in mind what the actual role entails in terms of what your day-to-day work will be and and having genuine interest in that type of work uh, as opposed to just needing a break from being in person. You know, I think there's a difference between just wanting to work at home in your pajamas because you're, you're so exhausted from, you know, being in person with patients all the time. Um, so I think that can be a slippery slope in terms of your motivation. Yeah. Yeah. It can be a slippery slope and people just have to be realistic about what it means. And I always say the best way to find out other than actually doing a job is to talk to people who do that job, not just the hiring managers, but have an informational interview with at least three people who do something because you'll get three different sets of opinions. And if there's commonalities between the three, you'll know that that's probably pretty true. But if one person shares like, well, you know, then you'll know, okay, that's one person's lens. Let me try another person's lens. And the same applies from my perspective to advanced practice nursing. Now you're an NP Mm -hmm. and you work in the ER. Mm -hmm. So um, are you an, I'm trying to remember, are you adult Jerry nurse practitioner? Um, I'm actually adult before they combined it to adult Jerry. So oh, before, um, oh, before they mm-hmm. combined it. Oh, okay. Yes. So, so when I'm, you I'm an OG that, adult and OG. So your original gangster. <laughs> so that was just considered an ANP right at the time. Yes. And now it's an AGNP, right? Yes. Right. They've, they've been made all these different combinations now. So here's a question for you. To me, from my perspective and what I hear out there in the ethers, it seems like everybody and their mother wants to become a family nurse practitioner. And when people write to me or call me and they're like, I want to talk about being an NP, I say, okay, so let's talk about why you want to be an FNP. What does it mean to be an FNP? Do you like working with children? Do you want to work across the lifespan? Do you understand where FNPs mostly work, like what the milieus and workplaces are like? And is that really what you want? Because I've heard from, I can't tell you, too many newish FNPs who have realized that what they've ended up doing is the 15-minute visit, maybe 20 times a day. And it's not what they signed up for. They wanted to provide holistic, nursing-based, primary preventive care across the lifespan. And they're actually forced into this box of the 15-minute primary care visit where they can't get anything done at all. And they feel like they can never serve their patients. So they feel disgruntled with the FNP role. And I'm always like, well, let's talk about what the options are here. And maybe you can wiggle out of it and do something else or get some sort of post-master certificate. So what's your take on what I'm saying here about the FNP role and all the other options that some people seem to maybe not realize are there? So I think that the reality of what primary care internal medicine looks like in our healthcare system today at the majority of either private practice clinics or hospital owned 
clinics or federally qualified healthcare clinics, which are yes. kind of the core outpatient settings for primary care. The 15 minute visit is the reality. You, you will be hard pressed to find a place where that's not the expectation. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, I see what you see in the sense that folks go into NP school kind of having this ideal vision of, of really being able to dig in and help and problem solve and, and coordinate the care for their patients. But that ideal image doesn't actually match up with the reality of day-to-day primary care. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a really, really hard thing to go through is when your expectations and your reality are so mismatched. There are certainly other arenas that NPs can work in where that isn't as prevalent, most of that being specialty care. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and there are different NP certification pathways that can bring you to different specialties. But for the most part, I would say folks that are working in a more narrow specialty, like maybe cardiology or neurology or nephrology are, are getting more time, right? Mm-hmm. They're getting more time with their patients. And I think that that can be really, can be really attractive. So, so I agree with you that really examining why do you want to be an NP? What do you want to do? Uh, and, and kind of what is your ideal vision for your day? And also how you're able to support patients can, can help make that, um, help make that decision a bit easier for folks because, Yes, those the expectations and reality in terms of what most FNPs end up doing can can really be mismatched. Yeah, that's very true. Well said. And let's clarify something here. Family nurse practitioners work in milieus like federally qualified health centers, like where I used to work as a nurse, um, doctors' offices, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Um, group practices, and in states like. New Mexico, they can hang their own shingle and have their own office, maybe with a couple NPs or an MD if they want, but they can do here, they can do almost anything they want. They can partner with a doctor of oriental medicine and have a primary care practice. So it all depends where you're licensed, right? Sure. Exactly. So there's lots of breathing room depending where you are. So be that as it may, like an FNP can work, let's say in an OBGYN office and really dig deep into women's health, even without the that postmaster certificate in women's health, right? So Absolutely. they can Absolutely. do lots of things in a focused way with a particular population. So that's available to them, right? Mm-hmm. And but if they want to work in nephrology, cardiology, in a clinic like that. Does the FNP afford them enough to be able to do that or they have to get some sort of postmaster certificate or would it be better if they were an adult Jerry NP to say work in, let's say, a cardiology clinic? I think it, it, it really depends. I don't think that um, currently there used to be way back when there used to be a cardiology NP certification. Uh, I don't think that it's uh, in existence any longer, but it depends on what that particular clinic is willing to willing to provide. I think that there are plenty of FNPs, especially if, if, if an FNP has a background in nursing, in cardiology, I think that's probably the perfect candidate mm-hmm. to work in a cardiology clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And the other thing to consider too, is that some cardiology clinics also are a bit of a hybrid role where it might involve rounding on patients in the hospital. So in that sense, sometimes the acute care certification is something that may be beneficial or more beneficial. Um, so it's FNP is really a versatile certification and you're usually depending on the state and, and the board of nursing, you're able to work in most, in most settings, but then it's your, your, your background and your propensity for some additional on the job training or, um, or certification that then can make you better for those, uh, more subspecialty roles. Yeah. And the same goes for an RN with an associates or a bachelor's, right? I mean, if Mm -hmm. you've gained a great deal of expertise in something like telemetry or cardiology or oncology, then lots of doors open to you, even if you don't have a certification, unless the particular employer really requires one. And this is where I always tell people, you know, when you're in the job marketplace and you're looking, look at the job descriptions, look at what they're asking for, look at what they say are required. And you can asterisk Mm -hmm. those because it's like, without that, you may be applying is not such a good use of your time. And then look at what's preferred. And if they say, you know, um, five years um, oncology experience and you have it, then you are maybe heads and shoulders above other candidates because you've got the five years preferred experience. So it just feels like there's there's a lot of possibilities and people need to read the landscape out there and then they need to speak the language of the job and the employer and the, the position that's being posted. And you and I talked about that on episode, what episode was that you were on? 306, when we talked about applicant tracking systems and bots and artificial intelligence and keywords and all that kind of stuff. So- when we when we think about that and we think about this reality and boy we could have another maybe we'll have another whole episode about artificial intelligence at some point <laughs> but this reality of the the applicant tracking system is not going away and i heard a really interesting episode of alan alda's podcast the other day um his podcast is called clear and vivid and he had this artificial intelligence specialist on, and she was sounding the alarm to some extent about, and she mentioned resume tracking systems, applicant tracking systems. She said, you know, she said, these systems are not as smart as we think they are and they will get smarter. But she said, it does dumb down the application process to some extent, because you could just submit, like you've said, a piece of paper with a bunch of words on it, and you could get screened in but she said that that these applicant tracking systems, ATS, we call them, right? They often, they can miss applicants who are actually really cool and have really amazing things under their belt, but the nuances slip by the ATS. So has any of your thinking changed or evolved about how to make a resume speak to this ubiquitous thing of the applicant tracking system. Anything new on your mind about that these days? So I I think that to some extent, we still have to kind of like, I don't want to say play the game, but mm-hmm. but do what we know is going to work in our favor in terms of the applicant tracking system. So keeping up on whatever 
the current the current method is. And I, I still kind of hold true to what we talked about in that earlier episode in terms of keywords and, and reflecting the job description in your resume and those kind of little things that can help. But I do think to your point that the ATS can really miss some phenomenal applicants. So to that point, I, I think any opportunity that you have to have a touch point outside of the online application, I would really seek those out and take advantage of, of those opportunities. And so what do I mean by a touch point? If you could email someone, a contact associated with that job, especially if you have a, a, a friend in common or a colleague in common, if you could, if it's a posting on LinkedIn that has the actual person who's posted the job, you know, if you could send a personalized note to them, or if this is a place where you commonly go in person, if you could have a, an in-person touch point or a phone call touch point, I think all of those matter mm-hmm. and they help make your name more recognizable or they'll prompt whoever the human is after the ATS, they'll prompt that human to at least look for your application among the pool and, and maybe, you know, bypass the, the, the AI portion of it to, to take you into consideration. So I think that that's, uh, that's important these days, especially as online applications become so common and prevalent as, as kind of the mainstay method for, for most jobs. Right. Yeah. You, you're kind of saying you have to work the back channels, right? Mm-hmm. Like they say in, um, in diplomacy, when there's stuff going on that we hear about in the news, there's a lot of back channel stuff that happens in the political and socio-political sphere, right? Or geopolitical sphere, like what's happening in Russia and Ukraine, as we record this, there's a lot of back channel conversations that we won't hear about. And we could relate that to the job application process and the job search process when you're doing your research. And I always say to people, you know, you're in an R&D phase, you're in a research and development phase, and the more lines you put in the water, the more fish you might catch. And it's a tired old metaphor, but it's true. So the more people you reach out to, the more the bigger and more robust your network is and the more colleagues and friends you have. And I don't mean to manipulate people. I just mean people who you know and you're connected sure. with and you have your like-minded um, professionals and colleagues, the more chance there is there's someone who'd be like, oh yeah, I'll help Amanda out. I know she's in the job market, right? And if you don't have many contacts, which many people reach out to me and say, you know, I just don't know anybody. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> you know more people than you think. And from now on, you're going to start meeting people as much as possible. So I, I do read people the riot act about that. <laughs> um, but you're right. You have to work those back channels too, because there's front door opportunities. You see an ad on Indeed, you apply, you maybe get an interview, and then you go through the gatekeepers or you contact someone like you said, and they're like, oh, they, they flag you to their boss and say, Hey, watch out for Amanda's resume. She's awesome. You know, things like that. So you never know what's going to happen. And when we come back from the break, and I'd rather not break and just talk to you all day, but you know, we have things to do. I want to talk about the nursing shortage, right? Put quotes around that. I want to talk about the faculty shortage, which is Mm -hmm. a thing. And 
I also want to talk about this whole travel nurse world a little bit, and also just your your recommendations for people who are in the market right now in 2022. So does that sound like a good plan for the second half? I'm up for it. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So y'all hang in there with us and we will be right back with the second half of the episode. The show notes are at nursekeith.com forward slash episode 362. And we'll be right back with Amanda Guarnier. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. Please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other awesome listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support The Nurse Keith Show, you also get some pretty cool premiums and gifts from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith to read all about it. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Nurse Keith. And if you know someone who could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, you'll receive credit for an hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit. So you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. And remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits. What an incredible deal. And please head over to nursekeith.com and sign up for my newsletter, which comes out regularly and brings you supportive messages, updates from my blog and my podcast, resources, and all sorts of other stuff. Remember, nursekeith.com, sign up for that newsletter, and you'll also get a free download from me as my gift to you. Anyway, those are my sincere asks today. So now, Let's dig back into today's topic without further ado. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. Remember the show notes are at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode in the number 362. Where you can learn all about Amanda Guarnier, the resumerx.com and the NP Society. And Amanda, my friend, um, gosh, we're talking about so many things. We were just talking about how you can work back channels when you're out there in the job marketplace and you can go through the front door and all the gatekeepers, which is fine. And you can also try to kind of work it and do informational interviews and just pound the pavement basically. Mm -hmm. And now that the pandemic is lightening up a little, a little, um, and things are evolving, let's just say that, um, you can actually meet someone for lunch or coffee maybe. And that's kind of a nice thing. You don't have to do all your networking virtually. So that's, that is changing the landscape a little bit, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. I, I just recently got back from an in-person conference. I was an invited wow. speaker. I know I, I wasn't sure it was going to happen. I've, I've been, you know, I contracted to do the speaking engagement about six months or so ago. And I was waiting to see, is it actually going to happen? And, and sure enough, it did. And it was really refreshing to be, to be back to an in-person professional event. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, I'm speaking in Vegas for the American Association of Ambulatory Care Nurses, um, mm. doing their keynote um, sometime in the middle of 2022. So gonna be back in Vegas and you know that'll be fun. And the National Nurses and Business Association is meeting in July in Vegas. So I'll be actually there twice. Um, 
and still no gambling, just not my thing. <laughs> but yeah, it is nice to to think about going back to in-person yeah. and maybe actually coming home unscathed, right? Um, maybe losing money in the slot machines, if that's your thing. <laughs> um, but okay, so let's talk a little bit about um, this travel nurse phenomenon. So there's a lot of conversation out there. You know, the the marketplace dictated that salaries were going to go up because competition was fierce for travel nurses. And that's, for me, it's the law of supply and demand. And it's no fault of the nurses. The salaries went up and nurses saw opportunity and they grabbed them. And I'm like, all the power to you. If you can make $6,000 a week, go for it. Make $6,000 a week. Why not? And of course, there are some issues that have arisen with that. One is you have a seasoned nurse who's slogged away in that position for 15 years and a traveler comes in for 13 weeks and is making twice as much as that person. So there can be some bad blood there. And also appreciation, like, thank God you're here. I don't know what we do without you. And granted, the travel nurse has given up their home. They've given up maybe being with their family or loved ones or their pets. And they're in a strange place having to... um accommodate working in a new environment and hit the ground running within like a couple hours of arrival. So that's, that's not necessarily easy. Um, you know, we think of travel nursing as nurses, like, you know, skiing and, you know, lying in the beach, but they're actually like showing up at a brand new workplace blind and being like, okay, I'm going to be seeing patients within like an hour. (laughs) Where, where are they? Um, where are the Foley's? I have no idea where they're kept. Right. So what do you think about the whole travel nurse thing that's happening right now? And that even Congress is have rumbling about capping salaries. I, I'm always going to support the nurses. I support the travelers in this, in this scenario. And to your point, they're, they're making sacrifices that do entitle them to additional compensation and it's also a supply and demand issue. So I I'm I'm with you 100% and what I hope is that this can be another I don't know another hint to the employers as we were talking about in the first half of the episode to maybe realize that their actions need to fall in suit of their expectations of their employees, right? What got employers into this situation was either uh, a staffing issue related to people who have quit or uh, increase of patients due to, um, you know, illness and, and uh, spikes in the virus or uh, the laying off of employees who um, didn't comply with any, you know, em- employee requirements, that type of thing. So, you know, I think that it's up to the hospitals and the organizations to realize how they're going to fix their working conditions or their staffing or whatever problem that they're dealing with to level out this playing field if that's if that's what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the meantime, don't punish the nurses for it. I mean, yeah. it's, as, it's as simple as that. Yeah. I mean, we could talk about this for an hour, but does Congress step in and like cap airline pilot salaries or do they cap CEO salaries? You know, are they cap? Yeah. Are they capping the salaries of the people who run hospital systems? Right. You know, it's like, oh, you know, the CEOs are making, 
you know, let's say six million a year plus, you know, all the other benefits they get, you know, is that being capped? So it's like, why, why are they singling out the nurses? It just feels very cavalier to me and misguided, you know, are they capping physician salaries or anything else? So I I have a real problem with that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So we'll have to see how that all plays out, but yeah, I would love to see employers say, Oh, well, if nurses are jumping ship and grabbing traveler positions and maybe even traveling to the hospital across the street and still living here in our own city, maybe, maybe we're not paying them enough. Maybe, maybe we do need to level the playing field somehow. And granted, maybe every single nurse in a hospital can't make 7,000 a week because the hospital might not be able to be sustained. But still, if everybody earned more or somewhat more, then maybe people could stick around, especially if they felt valued. And like I said, the, in the first half, the banner saying heroes work here and the pizza and the tote bags and everything, you know, that might feel good for like a split second. But if you really want people to stick around, you have to treat them with respect. You have to show them that they're valued. You have to, you know, consider paying for their education and their certifications and their continuing education and have a leadership funnel and have a way for people to advance within a workplace and not feel stuck, have them feel like there's somewhere they can go and grow into and evolve and not feel like they're just more cannon fodder for the waves of patients coming through the door. And if some of that is paying them more, giving them more paid time off, um, being more flexible in terms of the length of shifts maybe, for working parents, there's lots of things you can do to make people feel valued, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. And I think there are yeah. a lot of other industries that are doing this. Mm-hmm. And it seems as though healthcare is really lagging behind. You know, I'm thinking about the the tech industry and, you know, yes. maybe it's apples to oranges, but, you know, the tech industry is very progressive in terms of their their time off allowances and and the things that they know employees value you know they they are putting an emphasis on on employee retention and engagement and i'm just not sure that the healthcare industry has has really caught up which is which is too bad there are so many opportunities for improvement it's true and you know um we we might laugh about what we hear about apple or google or twitter or other tech companies where you know employees have like napping pods and they have ping pong tables and you know there's free lunch every day gourmet lunch and um you know there's uh, dry cleaning on site so you can have your dry cleaning done while you're at work and pick it up on your way home or there's daycare on site you know all these different things and you know when i worked at a tech company in seattle briefly it was a company that ran um a nursing online nursing um, portal and I was helping with their content, I got a glimpse into the tech industry and every employee of that company went out for lunch every day and the company covered everyone's lunch every day. And there was a kitchen stocked, filled with food every day. Some of it was junk food, but some of it was good. And there was so many, there, there were so many little and big perks that people had the options of. And, you know, people would sprawl on a couch and work for a little while, and then they'd go in an office. And, you know, there was, there was just this feeling that 
this wasn't costing the company a whole lot, but it really meant a whole lot. And yeah. healthcare, I mean, we could joke and say, oh, it's not like we're like taking care of your sick and dying loved ones or anything. I mean, if we were doing something important like that, maybe they would give us some perks. <laughs> um, you know, it's like one of the most important things out there, you know, saving people's lives and, you know, where, where's the disconnect? I just, yeah. yeah. I mean, we could talk about this forever, <laughs> but one of these disconnects for me is this, this whole nursing shortage notion and the whole idea of how many applicants are turned away from nursing school every day, tens of thousands. And they relate that to faculty shortage and they relate the faculty shortage to the point to, to the, um, the reality that faculty are paid so little compared to clinical nurses. So where, where do you land in terms of the shortage these days? And what do you, what do you think could happen? So I think that, you know, what, uh, another cause I think of all that is an experience gap, which mm. is, you know, the idea that there are of all the nurses that are ready to ready to work, the the belt or the curve skews more towards inexperience than experienced. Mm. So, you know, the older nurses are retiring, you know, especially the the baby boomer nurses, which has mm -hmm. been a, a large portion of our nursing workforce. Um, so I think that is certainly contributing as well. And, um, you know, it's very, it's really interesting to me, the, the faculty situation, the faculty being so underpaid, you know, I think back to my NP program, uh, was not cheap. I, you know, I went to an Ivy league program. I paid 40, I went to Yale. Yes. And, you know, I, paid around, I don't know, 30 to $40,000 per semester. And that was more than 10 years ago. Hmm. And, you know, knowing that the faculty are so underpaid, uh, it's like, where, where's all this money going? It just, it's, it's mind boggling. And, um, and recently I've been invited by a few NP schools to come and give guest lectures to their students, which has been very flattering. Hmm. And, you know, I'm at, the point in my career, as I'm sure you are too, that um, my speaking and my expertise is valuable and I charge a fee for it. And there have been many programs who have just said, sorry, we have, we have zero budget for, um, for any guest lecturers. And, you know, it just really makes me wonder, like I said, where, where's all this tuition money um, going? And, and I'm not really sure what what the answer is, but certainly it's, um, it, it's kind of this cyclical problem that I think that we're, that we're in, right. If there aren't enough faculty, then we can't educate enough nurses to then take care of our patients, to then become faculty, to then <laughs> educate our nurses. And it can kind of just go around and around. It's true. It's true. Yeah. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, one is pay faculty more make it more attractive because a lot of nurses love teaching because, you yeah. know, education and communication are part of nursing in general. So people love to teach. So make it attractive for them to do so. Don't make it such a financial sacrifice to become a professor. You know, it should be, it is an honorable thing to do, but it should be honorable and there should be commensurate remuneration for mm -hmm 
expounding with your, well, sharing your expertise with others so that they can become the caregivers of tomorrow. Right. I mean, it just makes sense. So yeah, yeah, there's, there's a disconnect there and I wish we could solve it during the course of this hour, but I don't know (laughs) who's really listening to us who would actually solve it, but it's good to talk about it. It's good to just be honest about what we see. And (laughs) speaking about what we see out there, um, before we, we, wind down, I want to ask you, if you were a job applicant in 2022, and I know you're on hiatus right now, and I'm not in the job market either right now, but what what would be your best practices? We already mentioned reaching out to people, networking, talking with people, putting lines in the water, right? What are some of the other best practices that you would say are still holding true in 2022? So I would say, you know, all of the above, which we've already mentioned with, yeah. with maybe an emphasis on networking and connecting with others. Yeah. I'm, I'm seeing more and more that that is still the most reliable way to, to get a job. There, you know, are still a high percentage of jobs that are never even making it to online postings because they're already being filled by referral or word of mouth. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, you know, a really important really important point. And, you know, the other thing that I think is even a step back is planning out your job search process and your job search strategy. I think for a lot of people, you know, we tend to kind of overestimate the amount of time that we're actually working on things because we think about it a lot, but it's not necessarily action taking. So you might be in the job market and, and thinking about it all the time, but maybe your actions aren't following suit with with what you think they are, right? So I think that I recommend for every job applicant to have some sort of process that works for them, whether mm-hmm. it's um, a spreadsheet that they're keeping track of potential jobs or keeping track of their applications and That's their, their follow-up process, or right. even just a, a yellow legal pad, you know, mm-hmm writing down their plan and kind of always spending some time. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Right. Analog or digital. Right. So keeping track of things is really important. Right. So, so you're not just thinking, Oh, I'm going to do this today. I'm going to do that today. You actually have a record. Right. Absolutely. And along with that, following up whenever you make any sort of contact point or touch point, whether it's an application you've submitted or an outreach email or connection you've made on LinkedIn or conversation that you've had, you know, don't assume that the other person is going to remember as much as you are remembering. Mm. And, and so kind of having some sort of rhythm or reminder for yourself along with this planning method of, okay, in two weeks, I'm going to reach back out to this person to remind them of our conversation and to you know, do whatever I need to push this process forward, whatever that looks like, because I really think that it's the follow-up conversations that actually make things, make things move forward and make things happen. So I, um, yeah, I can't, I can't overemphasize that. I think you're right. And I've had some clients and I've encouraged some to use things like Trello or Zendu or these other apps that you can have linked you know, they're synced between your laptop and your desktop and your your phone mm-hmm. or mobile device where you can keep track of people and things you're working on, et cetera. So whatever works for you really. And, you know, pen and paper, fine, if you're more of an analog person. And speaking of pen and paper, 
and digital and analog, I want to ask uh, some clients come to me when we're working on resumes and LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff. And they're like, do I really have to write cover letters? You know? And I always say, well, when you go on an online application, sometimes it'll say a cover letter is optional and they offer you the opportunity. And I always say, if they're offering the opportunity, you really should take it because that cover letter may be what separates you from another candidate, because that's where you can tell your story and call attention to things on your resume that you want them to remember or notice, right? Um, so for you, and I think I know your answer, are cover letters still a thing in 2022? And do you think applicant tracking systems will ever also take into account the content of cover letters? which up until this point, you and I have kind of decided that they kind of don't. Right, right. I um, So first question, yes, cover letters are still a thing in Thank 2022. <laughs> I, I make very similar um, recommendations. If it's, if it's optional, then do, do it. it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And let's say you're, you're having an email conversation or you're reaching out to a place and sending, you know, a cold email, quote unquote, then you just turn your cover letter into a cover email and attach your resume. It's just as really as simple as that. You can be a little less formal in those, in those emails. Um, And I wouldn't be surprised if the AI evolves into being able to read cover letters as well. You know, I, I recently saw a program that uh, is geared towards um, marketers and content creators that mm. is AI that will write your your copy for you, like write wow. emails yeah. or write promotional posts. And, you know, I think that there are programs that can be so advanced that they can create consistent language around hmm. a theme, then, you know, the technology is already there that it'll be able to read and interpret language. Amazing. Um, so. Yeah. So yeah, probably not too far off. And actually they're using that for uh, interviews now. I'm not sure if we talked about this in the last episode, but mm-hmm. I've been seeing more frequently these one-way interview uh, platforms, many of which also incorporate some sort of AI to read facial expression, body language, mm-hmm. et cetera. I have, I've had one interview like that so far um, back in 2021 or 2020. Um, and it was weird, um, but it's just what it was. So, you know, I want to keep talking with you, but we do need to wind down. And, um, you know, I wanted to ask you a few questions. I beta tested these on episode 361 and that, um, that guest knocked it out of the park. And she, she showed me that these questions actually do have some value. So these are four questions I'm starting to ask of all of my guests. So you're the second beta tester and I actually got this method from Alan Alda's podcast. He has seven questions loosely about communication that he asks all his guests. And it's always fascinating to hear what people have to say. And I've heard so many episodes of his that I find it entertaining to hear how people approach these questions. So I have my own questions. I didn't steal his. So my first question is, how do you define success? Hmm. I define success as feeling fulfilled personally. I think it's an internal mm. marker of, of fulfillment and achievement and can look mm. differently to everyone. That's nice. So it's an internal marker. I like that. Yeah. You're not about 
Well, you want a trophy for being on the show three times, but you know, other than that, it's all internal, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Trophy is in the works. Okay. Um, how would you describe one person who's inspired you in the course of your life? They can be living, they can be dead, they could be fictional, just one person. Mm-hmm. So I would probably describe my mom mm-hmm. who is uh, a year and a half away from her 40 plus nursing career uh, retirement. And I think that she showed me um, perseverance and uh, a strong work ethic and also kind of staying strong through hurdles and, and bumps in the road in terms Mm. of the, the course of her life and how it may have uh, affected, affected the path. So that, Certainly those were kind of core, core memory, core life lessons that, that I'm taking along with me. Sweet. That's really nice. I'm glad you mentioned your mom and she's a nurse. That's really awesome. Okay. And the third question, penultimate question, is there a book or a movie that's had a really major impact on the way you think or live your life? And it doesn't have to be like your favorite book or favorite movie, just one that just kind of like is a touchstone for you. Sure. Um, I'm thinking of two and I'm trying mm-hmm. to decide between the two. You could do both. Um, so the first one I'm thinking of is a book called Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Hmm. And Glennon is a, a writer and a mom and an essayist. And this book is uh, really unravels her experience with what the world expected of her or what the society expected from her versus learning how to trust what she always knew Mm. deep inside. So kind of honoring, honoring self. So that was a book I read in 2020, uh, right before the pandemic, which I felt has really um, helped me since then navigate challenges by, by tuning into myself. So that's the first one. The second one is Atomic Habits by James Clear which was also a pandemic read. I did, I've done a lot of reading the past couple of years. Um, and this book is about how to implement habits uh, for, for incremental success. Kind of the big premise is that you can, if you do something 1% better every day, there's a compounding effect to those habits that you implement. So that was really helpful in, um, in, kind of restructuring the habits of my day and deciding how I want um, things to evolve and, and kind of working backwards to, to implement the steps to get me there. Nice. I like that. Atomic habits. And the other one was um, untamed. And I'll try mm-hmm. to remember to have links to those in the show notes. Okay. Last question. What's one piece of advice you'd give your 18 year old self right now at this point in time, whether she would listen or not? Um, I would probably tell my 18 year old self that I would give her permission to do what she wanted to do with her career and not listen to what she thought others expected her to do in, in her career. That's been a, a bit of a theme in my life that I've, that I feel like I've reconciled here in my thirties. Good one. That's really good. Well, thanks for um, playing along. Of course. I, I like those questions. I think they're already eliciting some really good answers from folks. So I think 
I think it adds a little, a little something of you, you know, yeah, kind of how you see yourself and your place in the world. So thanks for playing along. My pleasure. So Amanda, thank you so much. This is your third appearance, not your last. So, you know, the trophies will just keep coming and the commemorative <laughs> coins. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time. You're a working mom and, you know, you've got little kids in school and, and two businesses, the NP Society, where people can check out all the support you give to nurse practitioners, right? And those who want to be nurse practitioners at npsociety.com, correct? Yep, it's the npsociety.com. But the yes. npsociety.com. Yep. And then we have the resume RX and people can find templates on your website. They can also link to it through my website at nursekeith.com and purchase your awesome templates. And I always tell my clients, you know, I don't really make my own templates because yours are so good. And I do the old fashioned linear resume, which works, but people can take the language we create together and then plug it into your template. So they get the best of you and the best of me. So thank you for allowing people to access that through my portals. And thanks for being who you are out there. Thank you. Always a pleasure, Keith. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this awesome episode with Amanda Guarnier of the NP Society and the Resume RX. You can learn all about her, et cetera, and the templates and the NP Society and everything we talked about here at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 362. If you need personalized holistic career coaching, remember to mention Amanda and the show to get 15% off your first coaching package. And if you would like to become a patron of the Nurse Keith Show at Patreon, I'd really appreciate it. Even $2 a month means a lot to keep the show going. The Nurse Keith Show is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. We are adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting, and Mark Cappiespeason is our stalwart social media and newsletter ringmaster. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote by the musician Robert Fripp, one of my favorite quotes, May my living honor my parents. May my living repay the debt of my existence. Be well, dig deep, seek joy. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful and super chilly Santa Fe, New Mexico. And the inimitable Amanda Guarnier saying arrivederci from? Reading, Connecticut. Reading, Connecticut. Thank you, Amanda. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we will catch you on the proverbial flip side. 